0: Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Um, Do we have the the handouts ready yet? Are they they arrived? Okay, so we just hand those out. So if you want to just... uh... Receive one of those. And while, while they're going out, if you'd like to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Now, while you're, you're, you're uh, looking at those, um, what I usually do is over prepare. So there's far more in the handout that we'll be able to get through uh, the, 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 this, uh, this afternoon. So I'm going to speak for about half an hour, and then that will give us 10 minutes or so for questions at the end. And uh, I'd be very grateful for you to be thinking of questions as we go through. Um, just to say a little bit about, about what I'm saying, it's, it's based on. Uh, our experiences, and it's it's some of the things that I've written about in the book. Um, I've never never contemplated writing a book. There are so many Christian books about on the market, you just kind of think, well, what does anybody want another book for? Uh, But after I'd spoken at at, um, at Keswick Convention a couple of years ago, uh, one of the editors from from Keswick persuaded me to write something because they said, actually, you can increase your ministry. You can help other people by what the Lord has taught you. What I would say, looking back over these last 23 years, is two things. Number one, um, the experiences we've gone through have been immensely painful. Immensely painful. Um, uh, my wife is incredibly brave, so you wouldn't guess, and and she she's she's brilliant at, um, at, at kind of hiding the, the the stuff that she suffers. But for example, just last night, um, she was in tears with pain. We were up four or five times in the night with with pain, which is um, a kind of a neurological pain. It's like the way she would describe it, it's like putting your hand in the in steam, and, and so that, that kind of thing, um, the, the illness has never been diagnosed, um, sometimes it's been talked of as multiple sclerosis, but it's not that, uh, we went to see a doctor in, in, um, in London who actually told us it's not that, um, but don't be surprised, we know so little about the brain, and a lot of these illnesses manifest themselves in, the, in the similar symptoms, some of the symptoms are like MS, but it's not that, so we still have an undiagnosed Um, condition that my wife goes through and one of the one of the things that sometimes said well at least you don't have pain with with MS well uh, maybe you do but certainly with this illness you you get pain so and there have been times when for example she had something that, that that we described as the attacks a pain attack that would come up and would work up to a crescendo and last for about an hour and then slowly work away again and those times she could do nothing she couldn't bear to look at the light. Um, and I I remember when they were at their worst, I remember one day I counted 12 attacks in one day. So you can imagine that kind of knocks you out completely. And the worst part is just realising that actually... Um, we can't do things that everybody else can do so I'll take her in a wheelchair and we'll sit and we'll be kind of chatting and you'll have um, octogenarians jogging by who are just going to go for the Birmingham half marathon and you know, bless them good luck to them really I mean if you can run a half marathon at, 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 in your 80s that's wonderful isn't it but edry hasn't walked across the room for 23 years and so you know life is about things being taken away, and so all of these things have been taken away. So in that sense, this has been for us an immensely painful experience, and uh, I can't describe how painful it's been. And on the other hand, on the other hand, and this is just as equally true, it has been the most blessed experience in our lives. God has used it beyond any shadow of a doubt to be a blessing first to us, and then to others, and then to his church, it's been a blessing in all sorts of ways. When Andrew was particularly ill at the beginning, I remember there was one um, afternoon that they allowed me to take her out in the wheelchair. They'd, they'd, they'd refused up until that point, but they said, you can take her out as long as you only go a, while, a little way and you come back quickly. So I took her out in the wheelchair. It was a, a sunny afternoon, playing cricket on the green just outside the hospital in Bath, and we sat there and, and, and we prayed together. And we said, Lord, we don't know why this is happening. We can't understand it. We can't explain it. But, oh God, we want you to use this for your glory. We want to, and we didn't use the phrase, invest it. But Lord, we want to invest this. We we want to choose to trust you. But more than that, we want you to use this to be a blessing into the lives of other people. And that prayer that we prayed 23 years ago, I've seen over and over, and over again. Just in my own preaching, in my own ministry, I can see a cut up point, the before and afterwards. You know, sometimes preaching can be kind of academic. Uh, I guess out of our experience of pastoral concern and pastoral care, we've been enabled by the Lord to to minister into a whole variety of situations. And, And in particular, the Lord has become more and more precious to us in the midst of suffering. Do I want my wife to be healed? I would love her to be healed. I would think it was marvellous if she could 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 run across the room to me. Of course, do I believe God could heal her? Of course I do. Do I believe that at this point God has chosen not to? Well, yes, I trust Him as well. And so uh, there is there is that kind of faith crisis sometimes, or that faith challenge. But we have to say God has used this for His glory. Let me just take you then to a few verses to to kick us off a, a little bit of theology. And then some of the blessings that I think we've experienced out of this. Some of the best-known verses in the whole Bible, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then Paul makes these amazing statements, ending with, verse 38, uh, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, uh, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I I want to just pick up on that passage very briefly. It it contains an affirmation and four applications. The affirmation is that God works all things together for good. And if you break that little statement down in verse 28, the first thing it says is that God works. Uh, One of the things that, that, that my wife and I are both convinced of is that in everything that has happened in our lives, it has been the hand of God. God works all things. This isn't chance, And it isn't fate. You know, it's not like throwing up pieces of a jigsaw into the air, and the pieces of the jigsaw all fall down, and suddenly you've got the picture. No, no. God is at work behind the phenomena of our lives. There is the heart and the hand of God—a God who we know and a God who we trust. I mentioned the the the, the neurologist doctor. Well, I won't mention his name, but the doctor who was an atheist and. um, when he had to tell me the news that my wife was going to be really seriously ill and she may not get over this, he wanted to kind of sugar the pill a little bit. So he said, uh, and these were his words, he said, well, we don't know how this is going to work out, but uh, we'll have to trust Mother Nature to be kind to her. Now, when a, when a neurologist is telling you you're going to have to trust Mother Nature to be kind, that's not particularly encouraging. And I, I, I said, well, thank you very much, doctor, but can I tell you something? I'm not trusting in Mother Nature. I'm trusting in my father, God. And I know him, and I know he's never let me down. Any Any kind of, oh, well, yes, okay, I don't want to talk about that, you see. But, but that's the point. God works. There is a hand behind the universe. There is a heart and there is a mind, and it is a God that we know. there were times when all this happened before it happened that we used to say to one another you know we've been so blessed it's amazing how blessed we've been you know I'm in ministry I love being in ministry we've got three children we've gone through a series of tragedies members of our family have died but 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 we are so blessed so blessed and then this kind of hit us like a like a bolt out of the blue but all the time we were conscious we were in the hands of God God works and God works all things. Paul's emphatic about that, isn't he? God works all things. He works the good things and he works the bad things. He works the, the mountaintop experiences and the valleys of despair. In our experience in life, it's not just that the good things are from God and the bad things are from the devil and that's the way it is. Life is a bit more complicated than that, but in all things, God works in every detail of our lives, in the fine details of our lives. Great comfort for God's people is the sovereignty of God. And God works all things for good. God works all things for good. The ultimate purpose of God, in the midst of pain and in the midst of sorrow, and in the midst of heartache, the ultimate purpose of God is always good. Now, now I need to make a distinction there. The things themselves are not good. The purpose is good. It's not good what's happened to my wife. I hate it. I despise it. You know, Christians are not always the the, the cleverest or the wisest of people. We were at a conference once. We hadn't been there for a number of years. My wife's in the wheelchair. We sat at the front and a couple we hadn't met for a long time came across and they they said to my wife, oh, how lovely to see you. How marvellous and you're looking okay at the moment. We thought you'd be dead by now. Which is kind of marvellous, isn't it? You know, wonderfully diplomatic. I hate what's happened to my wife. I don't trust that what is happening is a good thing. Pain and sickness and suffering and sorrow and death is not a good thing. But the purpose is good. The purpose is good. Now, you, you have a raging toothache and you go to the dentist. And the dentist sits you down in the chair and then he gets a needle which is about you know, 17 inches long and he, he pushes it into your jaw and then he clamps your jaw open with, 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 with metal and, and he comes along with this great um, metal tool and he, he, he rages away in your mouth and pulls out all sorts of bits, there's this scraping noise and then, and then he says spit out and you spit out bits of blood and jaw and tooth. What happens at that point? You don't say, oh, well that was a wonderful experience, do it again, I've got another 32 teeth. Of course you don't, the experience is terrible. Who wants to go through that? I apologise for dentists. I'm, I know it's not that bad, but you know, the, the experience is terrible. Who wants to go through that? But, but, when the, when the, 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 uh, the, the uh, anaesthetic dies off, you go to bed that night and you sleep because the pain is gone. The purpose is good. The process isn't. And the purpose of God, if you look in the, in, in the passage here, is to create us in the image of Christ. Have a look at the, at the wider context of the passage there. uh, uh, for the good of those who love him have been called according to his purpose. What is that purpose, Paul? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. What is God doing? He's making us like Jesus. Uh, He's making us like his Son. Hebrews says that the Son learned obedience through what he suffered. The the Son learned to follow his Father, to trust his Father and to obey his Father through what he suffered. What is God doing through suffering? He is using it to make us like Jesus. To make us like the Son so that we will be the firstborn, or he will be the firstborn amongst many brothers. He's creating a race of men and women who are his children in the likeness of his Son to fulfill the purpose that he had for Adam and Eve in the first place, to reign with Christ forever. And this purpose is not a, a momentary purpose, verse 30, it begins in eternity. Destined and called and justified and glorified, it goes on into eternity future. And so that's the kind of perspective we need to have when we think about suffering. There are four blessings that uh, follow from that, and we don't have time to, 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 to actually uh, develop those four blessings, but protection, if God is for us, who can be against us, and provision, if he didn't spare his son, how would he not with him also give us all things, and pardon, Christ intercedes for us in heaven when we fail. This all flows from the purpose of God. You know, one of the things that have helped us a great deal is to know that the Lord is praying for us. <laughs> you know, there have been times, can I say... I want to be honest this afternoon, there's times when I haven't been able to pray. There have been times when I've been quite angry with God. You know, if you read through the Psalms, the psalmist is is honest. And sometimes it's a cry to God. My wife, and and, and she won't mind me saying this, was in, in such pain last night. Such terrible pain. She said, just pray that the Lord would help me to cope with this pain. Take the pain away. And, and we prayed, and, and there wasn't an instant answer, but, but, you know, sometimes that's what prayer is, a crying to God. And yet Paul says, you know, the Lord is praying for us. He's interceding for us. When I was a little boy, I used to watch Perry Mason. Do you remember Perry Mason? He got shot and he became Ironside, I think. That was, the, that was the way it worked. But Perry Mason, the story was always the same, always only one story. You know, The man would be on trial, he'd be banged to rights, there was no defence, and then suddenly, ten minutes from the end, Perry Mason would stand up and put this wonderful argument and the man would walk free. Now, I can remember as a little boy thinking, if I ever get in trouble with the police, I want Perry Mason. Because he never loses. <laughs> he never loses. Listen to me, the arguments of Jesus in heaven with his father, he always succeeds. He's never failed yet. The Father looks at his Son's hands that are pierced for us and he hears his Son's prayers and the Son is praying for us in the midst of our trials. So pardon and preservation, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Let me say a a few things by way of of introduction. The first thing is that um, we live in a broken, fallen world. If you look back in those verses in in Romans, if you've still got Romans uh, open in front of you, verse 22 uh, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So suffering isn't just something that impinges on us, it impinges on the whole creation. The image is of the intense pain of childbirth. I've been present at the birth of, of uh, three of my children anyway, and, and my observation was that it, 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 it's, it's, it's a tad painful to have a baby, isn't that right? A tad painful. Slightly more than a tad painful, maybe. Well, it's an intense pain, but it's a positive pain. Because at the end there is this wonderful blessing. And and he says, the whole creation. When Adam sinned, God curses the whole creation. The whole creation is under the judgment of God. You've never seen, you've never seen an unfallen sunset or an uncursed mountain. (laughs) What what will the new creation be like when the curse is removed? It'll be tremendous, but at this point the whole creation grows. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Can you see what Paul is saying there? We have all these blessings of salvation that he's been talking about in Romans, justification and everything that flows from it. There is no, no, no condemnation. We have a sure and certain hope of heaven. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. It's great and it's glorious, but we don't have the fullness of salvation yet. We are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are still full of pain and sickness and death. And and one of the things that we've had to deal with over and over and over and over again is people have come up to us and I'm sure it's in, in the nicest and the kindest way and say, Well, the problem is you don't have enough faith. If you had more faith, the Lord has told me I, I, that he wants to heal your wife, if only you had more faith, if only you did this, or if only you believe that, or if only you went to that meeting, do I believe in divine healing? Yes, I do. But every healing in this life is only provisional. Every person who gets healed is still going to die unless the Lord returns. We still wait for the redemption of our bodies. Think of poor old Lazarus who died and then uh, was brought back from the dead, uh, and then he'd also got to die again. <laughs> you know, Every every suffering is provisional now. Every every healing is provisional now, rather, because we live in in bodies that are not redeemed yet. One day we will have redeemed bodies. The the, the hope of the Bible is not the eternity of the soul, it's the resurrection of the body, a new resurrection body, but we're not there yet. So we groan inwardly, waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I, I was saying to this at the guys in the Baptist Church, if you pinch out the first two chapters of the Bible and you pinch out the last two chapters of the Bible. Now, in in, in Genesis 1 and 2, there's no pain or sickness or suffering or death. God created a world that was pain-free. There's no judgment. There's an intimate relationship with God. And if you pinch out the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, there's no pain or sickness or suffering or death. The former things are gone forever. But we live in the middle of the book. That's where we live. The middle of the book is incredibly honest. It tells us that there is pain in this world, and sickness, and suffering, and death. And one day we will arrive there if we're believers, but we're not there yet. So the whole world suffers, uh, and we're living in the middle of the book. Let me therefore deal with, um, I'll leave that one, let me deal with some misconceptions. Very briefly, I'm not going to go through the book of Job, Job is about suffering, but let me say three things about, from the book of Job that I think will help us to get our thinking straight. First thing is this, first misconception is that God is powerless to control evil. You now, people look at the book of Job and they say, well, you know, why did Job suffer? Well, uh, first of all, Job suffered because there were wicked men who came and attacked his family and, or came and stole his possessions and the wind blew and so on. And then behind that is the devil. And we've had people say to us things like, well, of course, you know, the only reason your wife is sick is because of the devil. It's nothing to do with God. God is never around when people get sick God would love to heal, but maybe you don't have enough faith or whatever, and, and now I do believe in the reality of the devil, and I do believe that the devil hates God's people, and I do believe that the, you know, Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, the devil can attack us, there's all sorts of things, it, 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 it's a complicated thing, but ultimately, ultimately, God is in control, The sovereignty of God has been the one thing that has been the greatest comfort to us through all this experience. We know that we're in the hands of Almighty God. Anybody remember what that is? Anybody identify that? Good one, but not the Battle of Britain. Slightly more contemporary than that. Well, do you remember Desert Storm? I think it was the first Gulf War. They got all the planes, they got all the, the, the army in place and all the planes in place and all the, the boats in place and that was called Desert Shield and in the middle of the night, Desert Shield became Desert Storm and Desert Storm was when they, they sent in the, the bombers over uh, uh, Iraq. Uh, I, I, was, I was listening to the World Service that night and, and they stopped the news to say, uh, breaking news, the, the, the American forces and the British have gone into Iraq. The bombs are falling on Iraq. And the next morning, um, I don't know whether you ever listened to the Thought for the Day. That's not my radio, but it looked—we I mean, didn't even look like that. But <laughs> Thought for the Day, quarter to eight, radio four. They got this guy, this, this clergyman who came to speak about it. And he'd obviously got something in mind, but he, he said, uh, you know, this morning, I need to speak about this. You may be asking the question, you know, war has begun. Where is God? Where is God in this situation? Well, let me tell you, this has got nothing to do with God. God is looking on in heaven and he's wringing his hands in despair that wicked men are doing wicked things, but God can't change the situation. Now, I, I kind of picked up my radio and threw it against the wall. Well, I didn't, but I felt like it. You know, what kind of God is that who is powerless within his world? You know, we, we, we think of great events in history. Was God absent there? We, we have to recognize, if you look in the book of Job, that people are responsible. They're not puppets. They do wicked things. But ultimately... Ultimately, God works all things for good. We believe in the sovereignty of God. At the end of Joseph's life, Joseph was the victim of wicked men doing wicked things, but he's able to say to his brothers, God planned this for good. And, And you might say, well, is there anything in the Bible that proves it? We'll be talking about this tomorrow. The cross was the greatest act of rebellion that the human race has ever perpetrated, and it was the act of the sovereignty of God. God planned it from eternity. Now, I can see from one, two of you, you've got a few questions about that, so you can ask them in a minute. I I, I am convinced and and sure that in everything that's happened to my wife and me, we've been in the hands of God. And I I, I find that comforting. I find it's what the Bible teaches, and I find it comforting. Number two, here's the second misconception, believers should not suffer. Uh, And people say, "Look look at Job, you know, Job suffered. Um, Job was a righteous man. Job was a godly man. Job did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He feared God, and yet he suffered. One Saturday night, there was a knock on the door, and a man came and he said, "Uh, God's given me a message for you. And I said, oh yes, what is it? The only reason your wife is sick is because there is a secret sin in your life. And I said, oh right, well that's very interesting. He hasn't told me that. Um, It's not wrong to ask the Lord... When, when disaster comes, is there something that's wrong? Is there some sin I need to repent of? It's not wrong to ask that. And I'd prayed that prayer. I'd say, Lord, is there something I need to do about this? And I'd come to the conviction that, that there was no particular sin. So I said, look, I've, I've prayed about that. I have to say I think you're wrong. I don't think there's any secret sin. He said, oh, well, it, it, I, I may have got the message It may not be a secret sin in your life. It may be a secret sin in your wife's life. That's when I hit him. Well, no, I didn't, but but I was sorely tempted. I was sorely tempted. Um, There are Christians, and and by and large, they're they're, they're good-hearted, and they're they're, they're gracious, and they're loving. Some of them aren't, but but have come to us and said, look, this shouldn't be. Christians should not suffer like this. Christians should never go through illness. Well, I would beg to differ. Job was a righteous man. And yet he suffered more than any other man has ever suffered, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a misconception. Here's the last misconception. There's an easy answer. There's an easy answer. I I, I don't think there is an easy answer. I said at the beginning, you know, we've found this immensely painful, and at the same time it's been a great blessing. And those two things are true, but there have also been many, 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 many times when uh, almost I've been in despair. When, when the attacks came, particularly, and, and we were going through that period of time, um, I remember one time, it was my daughter, my, second, my oldest daughter's birthday, and my wife, uh, she loved the ballet, and my wife had taken her to see, what was it, Swan Lake, or Nutcracker. who? Nutcracker. Nutcracker. Does that make sense? Never heard of it, but never mind. And, 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 and she was so excited. And Edry took her, and for the whole time, she had three attacks, one after another, and for the whole time, she, her mum, mum sat there and, and little Kezia couldn't enjoy it. That's horrible, horrible. And, and so, you know, sometimes in pastoral ministry, sometimes when we're trying to help people, we can be very glib. Well, of course, God's in control and it's all his purpose and everything's okay. Sometimes it's easier to say to people, look, I don't understand. But we have to trust the Lord in the midst of sorrow. I don't understand. There is no easy answer. And the book of Job comes to that conclusion. At the end of the book of Job, God doesn't give Job an easy answer, does he? He simply says, Job, you've got to trust me. Where were you when I made the world? Do you understand the the intricacies of the world? You can't understand the intricacies of my purposes and my plans. A few years ago, when I was going through a period of kind of particularly stressful, my kids bought me a goldfish. The idea was that I would look at this goldfish and it would relax me. You know, I, I kinda, so I, I, I called him Jonah, and, and, and we kind of had a great relationship. It's not quite like taking the dog for a walk, but I talked to him every morning and talked to him every night and fed him. And we had a great... Every time he saw me coming, he would swim to the surface. So a really great... Re- until I heard that a goldfish has a memory span of about four minutes. He hadn't got a clue who I was. Not an idea in the world every time. I mean, it's not very exciting being a goldfish, but at least you're always meeting new people. Anyway, (laughs) you think about his tiny little aquatic world, tiny little world, And, 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 and what does he know? He knows nothing but the sides of this glass bowl, round and round and round in circles. That's all he knows. He doesn't know about my world. He doesn't know about the fact that I can get on the internet and I can talk to somebody on the other side of the world. He doesn't understand that I can do a crossword puzzle or I can go for a run or I can... You know, any, he doesn't know understand. and understand... The, the gap between his tiny little brain and mine is, is huge. Yes, yeah, nothing compared with my brain and the brain of almighty God who holds billions and billions of stars in space. who who plans the details of every, every life so that not a hair on her head is unknown. Not a sparrow falls from the sky without him knowing it. The infinite God. No wonder we can't understand. There's an infinite distance between us and God. And so there is a mystery about suffering and we need to be humble. Okay, some of the lessons we've learned then. I think I've got 10 more minutes and then we've got 10 minutes for questions. Here's the first thing. Suffering makes God more real. Suffering makes God more real. One of the great lessons we've learned as we've gone through this is that suffering strips away um, the idols that we trust in. It's quite easy to say we have a relationship with God. Suffering drives you to God or it drives you from God. C.S. Lewis put it like this, God whispers in our blessings, he speaks in his word, and he shouts in our suffering. I'm guessing that if I was to say, could you come, some of you here today, could you come and give testimony? Some of you would give exactly that testimony. The hardest times have been the times when the Lord has drawn closest. Those have been the times when the Lord has been most precious to us. Um, If you read Psalm 147 for a moment, just just, just look at Psalm 147 and verse 4. I I love this psalm. It's it's a psalm that speaks about God in all his power. He he creates the stars. He numbers them all by now, How many stars are there? Have you got any idea? Well, what's, what's what's our galaxy called? Do you know? They, they, they do talk about this in Ireland, don't they? I'm sure. The Milky Way. Well, okay, so there is a... You can't, you can't take a picture of the Milky Way because you, you're inside it, but there's, there's a, 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 what the Milky Way might look like a little bit. How many stars in the Milky Way? The nearest stars is the sun. How many stars in the Milky Way? 100 billion. Okay, 100 billion stars like the sun. If you would to count them, one, two... Three, and you just to count the number of stars, one per second, it would take you 300 years without stopping. Okay? And the Milky Way is one of 100 billion galaxies. Galaxies is, a, is, a, is kind of a city of stars. 100 billion galaxies, the greatest under, understatement in the whole Bible, he made the stars also. How great is God? How glorious? How magnificent is God? He numbers the stars, he calls them all by name, like a shepherd with individual sheep. How great God must be. You know, astronomers no longer give names to stars, they kind of give them numbers like uh, uh, registration plates on on cars, you know, B6375Y, they they don't give them names anymore. There there aren't enough names in the universe to give stars. God is so great! But can you look back at verse 3? He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. The God of the stars is the God who is infinitely concerned with our lives. He's the God of glory. And and actually, it's no good believing a God who's, who's, who's got no power in the midst of sorrow in the midst of suffering I don't want a God who who I go to and he says well I'm sorry this is too difficult for me I didn't see that it kind of came under my radar I'm sorry your wife's sick but I can't help it I don't want that kind of God I want a God who is infinite in power and at the same time a God who I can trust and I can know a friend behind the phenomena if you like imagine a imagine a, 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 a conductor conducting a great orchestra and he's there, and, and you know, over here are the woodwind and the brass and the and the wind and the um, strings and the whole percussion. And he's kind of conducting away. And his little three-year-old son kind of stumbles onto the platform and runs across to his daddy. And without ceasing to conduct the orchestra, his daddy sweeps him up in his arms and takes him to his chest, and he whispers, "Everything's going to be okay." And he kisses away his tears. Our God conducts the symphony of the stars. He holds the universe in place. He is glorious and magnificent and powerful beyond imagination. And yet he hears the cry of every one of his children. And what does suffering do? It drives us into the hands of our Father like nothing else. It's easy to drift from God. Here is is Hudson Taylor. He will not lead you in a way that you know, for that would profit you little but he will lead you in a way that you know not, so that through a thousand intimacies with himself, the way may be forever memorable, both for you and for him. Why does God lead us down difficult paths? So that we will spend time with him. Here's the second thing I need to speed up a little bit. Suffering makes Jesus more exquisite. Suffering makes Jesus more exquisite. I I, I think Christianity and the Christian faith and and biblical religion has an answer to suffering that is not shared or understood or or, or applicable in any other religion in the world, no other religion, no other faith in the whole world can give an answer to suffering, every faith tries to, every faith struggles with it, but, but Christianity is unique in that it believes and it teaches and it propounds the fact that this God who made the universe has not washed his hands but he's rolled up his sleeves, he's become one of us, he's entered his universe, the word became flesh God is not a distant deity, he's not an infinite iceberg. Jesus, in human flesh, wept at the tomb of his friend. Um, uh, we, we, we have, we, we, one of the heresies in the early church was something known as docetism, which was the idea that Jesus only appeared to be human, he was kind of too, too great to be really human. Listen, the Bible teaches he really was human. Every experience we go through, from joy to sorrow, from pain to to, to ecstasy, every experience, apart from sin, is shared by the Lord Jesus. God knows. God understands. We have a sympathetic high priest, and that's unique. But more than that, here's here's something interesting. Uh, Stephen Hawking, if a deity did exist, he would certainly not be interested in our tiny insignificant planet. Do you believe in God, they asked him, well I don't know, I'm a physicist, I'm not a theologian, but if he did exist, what interest would he have in us, who who can say? Well what's the answer to that? The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Look down at your page and see if you can find a full stop, have you found one yet? You see a full stop on your page, in your Bible, on your notes? The infinite God who made all the stars became smaller than that full stop in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Isn't that Amazing. that breathtaking and in the midst of sorrow one of the things that comforted us most of all is that Jesus understands he's not a an infinite iceberg he understands and then of course on top of that it's not just his incarnation but his cross the darling of heaven suffered for us there on the cross of Calvary. What does the cross prove? The cross proves that, that, that suffering that seems to be pointless and dreadful and awful has a purpose. There was a purpose in his suffering. This is what uh, the symbol of, 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 of Buddhism is. You know, the, the Buddha who is above suffering. He's kind of in a, in a world where there is not. He's got beyond that. And the aim of Buddhism is to, to cut yourself off from suffering in the world. What's the symbol of Christianity. have been a cross, I've got the wrong slide, but never mind. Listen to John Stott. We must learn to climb the hill called Calvary and from that vantage point survey all life's rep tragedies. The cross does not solve the problem of suffering, but it supplies the essential perspectives from which to look at it. I could never myself believe in God's love if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nisha ridiculed as the God on the cross what John Stott is saying there how can we know that God is love how can we really believe it go to the cross I can remember the times when Edrie was at her worst when it looked as if I would have to give up my ministry when I didn't know how we would cope when the pain was so intense that that, that that we would go whole weeks without hardly getting an hour's sleep and you know sleep deprivation makes and and I've got to say those times we cling to the cross of Christ we cling, we, 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 we dwelt there, we lived there. We kind of say, well, we don't get it, but we know Jesus does. We know that Jesus has been through this. We know that he has suffered and he understands. And pain makes Jesus more exquisite. I told you I'd run out of time, didn't I? Okay, let me, let me deal with a few others. Um, suffering makes the Bible more precious. Only when we go through suffering that suddenly the word of God jumps out at us. The worst day when Andrew was in hospital was, was when i just received this diagnosis. She might not make it. I was combing my daughter's hair. We were sat on the stairs. I remember it distinctly. I'm on one stair and she's a few stairs down and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I don't have much experience in combing hair. Work out why. And, and particularly combing a, a woman's hair, what do you do? So I get the comb and I'm kind of macheteing through her long locks and she burst into tears. She said, Daddy, you're hurting me. And at that point I burst into tears as well. Now I don't cry usually, but but I couldn't help myself. And my daughter stopped. She said, What's the matter, Daddy? I said, I just want mummy back. I wanted like she was, I want your mummy back. And she gave me a big hug. That night I went to bed and I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and couldn't sleep. It was awful. You know it's like problems are a million times worse at two o'clock in the morning, tossing and turning. And then suddenly Suddenly into my mind came a verse, Psalm 18, verse 30. I didn't know where it was. I had to look it up. Just a phrase, Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. And at that moment in time, my heart was filled with peace. I can't explain it. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the truth of God's word brought into my heart. My heart was just absolutely overwhelmed with peace. And, and it was this. God's in control. God's way is perfect. You don't understand, but you don't need to. You just need to trust him. And I went back to the hospital and I told Edrian and we prayed about it. Suddenly God's word had become more precious. The truths of God's word became more real. Okay? Uh, suffering makes our hearts more malleable. What does suffering do? Well, suffering changes us. Remember what it said earlier about, you know, why does he send suffering? To make us more like Christ, to make us more like Jesus. There was a a man who did sculptures of horses. He took a block of wood and he produced a beautiful sculpture. and Someone once asked him, how do you do it? What's your secret? What's your philosophy? He said, I don't know really. I suppose it's a bit like this. I look at a block of wood and then I take the knife and I cut away everything that isn't horse. Okay? I see the horse in the wood and I cut away everything that isn't horse. God looks at us And he wants to see Jesus in us and say, what does he do? He cuts away everything that isn't like Jesus. And the scalpel God uses is the scalpel of pain. And it cuts deeply. And it hurts. And we don't like it. But he's making us like Jesus. That's the purpose. Or to use the analogy of the New Testament, uh, those whom the Father loves, he chastens. when, When you had kids, did you discipline your kids? I hope you did. I disciplined my sons, and I'd go up, My I'd say, go and see if they were all right. So I'd go, and I'd say, Caleb and Amos, why did Daddy punish you? Because you love us. And you want us to be the best little boys we can be. <laughs> Not sure they believed it at the time. They got the, they got the, the theology right, but, but, you know, that's God's love. God loves us and therefore chastens us. We don't understand it, but it's a heart of love. Okay, three more things very quickly. Suffering makes our faith more vital. 2 Corinthians, Paul says God gives us these, these, these trials so that our faith may become strong. I got my wife to, to take a picture of my muscles earlier. Um, there you go. Well, one thing you know about that guy is that he's, he's obviously practising his weights. Now, why has he got big muscles like that? Because he's practising his weights. If you were to take his arm and tie it behind his back and leave it tied behind his back for six months, his arm wouldn't look like that. His muscles may never work again. We only, we we like to be in our comfort zone. We only ever exercise faith, really, when we have to. In the Christian life, very often in our church, in our home, in our marriage, in all sorts of things, it's only when the the going gets tough that we actually step out in faith. And Paul says there in Corinthians, faith is strengthened through that. Um, I've got to carry on. We don't even get to hear about Spurgeon, which is a tragedy, but never mind. Okay, suffering makes our faith more, suffering makes our care more credible. It's a wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians 1, which has been a great blessing in my own ministry. God pours in suffering, so he pours in comfort, so that the comfort then pours out into the lives of other people. I can think of so many examples where we've been sat and talking to people through extreme circumstances, and they've said something like, well, of course, you understand, don't you? You've been there. And we've been able to bring the comfort we've experienced into their lives, and that prayer that we prayed, Lord, use this for your glory, the Lord used it over and over again. One last thing. Okay, i will point it in the right direction this time. Suffering makes uh, service more fruitful. And what Jesus talks about, the, the, the grain of seed, it must fall into the ground and die. And only if it falls into the ground and dies do it produce much fruit. You must fall into the ground and die. And as we die to ourselves, as we die to our own ambitions and our own desires and our own uh, expectations, that we can be used for the glory of God. As we put him first and as we suffer, so people are blessed. Paul talks about filling up in his own body that which was missing in the suffering of Christ. Um, Let's just quickly move on. Um, I I have uh, two delightful granddaughters in Wales beautiful little girls. We're in Bath, and so we go across the bridge to Wales. And on the way across the bridge, we, we often stop and have a picnic for about two hours, because I don't want to get to see my granddaughters. I, I just love this bridge, and we just sit there on the side of the bridge, and all the cars go past, and we just sit there having egg sandwiches uh, in the rain, because I don't want to get to see my granddaughters. I'm lying. Of course I'm lying. What an idiot. Who would want to stay on a bridge? in the middle of nowhere where well, you could go and see your delightful granddaughters. This world and our experience in this world is the bridge. We're on our way to glory. We're going to heaven. And in heaven, in a new resurrection body, heaven, is not a, heaven isn't kind of sitting on a cloud dressed in a kind of a, a celestial negligee. I mean, can you imagine me in a celestial negligee? Frightening, isn't it? You know, heaven is a real place, a new heavens and a new earth. Actually, our future destiny is here to reign with Christ forever in new resurrection bodies. Our experiences now are just like passing over the bridge. And it's painful and it's tough and it's hard, but there's something on the other side. And so uh, the, the final thing I want to say, and then we've got time for a few questions, the final thing I want to say is that, is that what our, uh, our experience has done is to increase our, our desire and our hope. We know that we're going to be, this isn't going to be Forever. You know, one day my wife will have a new resurrection body. We have an appointment in heaven. We're going to dance together in heaven, which we've never done before. I've never danced with anybody anywhere, any place, any time. And, you know, do you get to dance in heaven? I don't know. But, but the wonderful thing is that she will be changed. And, and, and as things get worse, and as slowly, I mean, the nature of the illness is that it's a slow deterioration, our hope is in heaven. And this is the bridge, and the bridge is, is short, and it's, it's, it's painful and so on, but we're going to glory. This world is not our home, ultimately. This world transformed after Christ returns. That's our home. That's what we're looking forward to. Okay, sorry about that. I didn't manage to get through everything. Do we have ten minutes for questions, I think? Do we need a, do we need a microphone? Okay. And I'm happy to, to, to answer anything or, 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 you know, you may disagree with some of the things I've said. You may want clarification. At the front here. Okay. Thank you. Um, what do you say to a mother whose child has maybe got some disability okay. and is born with that disability and they see their child suffering? My little grandson has dyspraxia. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, to do with the brain and, you know, learning. And I hear she loves the Lord and she trusts him all the way through it. But sometimes I wonder and she wonders, you know, why does the Lord who creates us in perfection allows these things to happen? I know things can go wrong, but yeah. it's dealing with that pain inside you and yes. me as a grandmother watching my daughter suffer as well. Yes. Yeah. Her I, I think that the, the suffering that happens in the lives of our children or our grandchildren has got to be the most difficult of all. I mean, when a parent dies, for example, well, that's tough, but, but that happens. That's the way it is. And when a spouse dies, a husband or a wife, that's tough. And again, all of us have to go through that. All of us will go through it, or we'll be, we'll be the one gone or the one left behind. But when our children are ill, or grand, that is really tough, because you know, what are you to say? I think a couple of things I would wanna say, first of all, um, there is a mystery about it, and we don't understand. We can't actually give an answer that is, that is I mean, I could, we could come up with all sorts of glib answers. I, I, I sometimes think that, that the problem of suffering is a little bit like a, uh, like a jigsaw. And you remember when you used to do jigsaws, you put, you put the corners in first. And, and, and all I think we can do is, is to put the corners in. One of the corners is that we live in a broken world, we live in a fallen world. This is not the way in which God designed the world in the first place. God made the world perfect. It's only because of human sin that the world is the way it is. And, and another one is that, is that God still cares for the world. Look at what he's done in Jesus. I, I, you know, I, I think the greatest thing for me personally is to come back constantly to the cross and constantly to Christ. Look at what he's done in Jesus. When we doubt God's love, look at what he's done. Look at the, 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 the infinite love of God that he sent his own son to die for us. Third corner would be that God uses these things for blessing. God uses these things for, for blessing in the lives of others. I mean, we, we've, we've ministered into situations with children with, with um, Down syndrome or, 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 or whatever, and, and, and very often those children are the most delightful children. They're the children that have brought the greatest blessing in the family. Parents will say, when, when, when we received this child, it was, it, we, we were terrified. But now we can look back and say that this child has been a tremendous blessing to us. And then the, then the last thing to say, of course, is that one day that, that, that child will be completely healed. You know, if they're a Christian, they will be with the Lord forever. Um, we had a, a family in, in, in our first church, and they had a little girl. And the tragedy of it was that this little girl was born exactly the same time as our oldest son. So they were the same age. something went desperately wrong at the birth and she was brain damaged so she would never be older in her brain than than a a newborn child. And so she grew at the same rate physically and yet she was like a baby. And yet to see the, the, the love that those parents had, they had two other children alongside her who, who were born later, see the love they had. And, and if you'd asked them, they would say, this, this little girl that we've been called to, 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 to look after until she went to heaven has been the greatest delight to us. You know, so uh, uh, those maybe sound like glib answers, but that's, that's, that's all I can say. Thank you. Okay, over here. Uh, God has a purpose in suffering. Yes. Does he cause it or does he a Okay. Okay, that's a kind of a slippery way to describe... No, no, don't say you're being slippery. It's a slippery thing to kind of get our mind around, isn't it? Um, There are assertions in the Bible that say that God is not the author of evil in any way at all, okay? God is not responsible for sin. He's not responsible for pain or suffering or sickness in the sense that we can blame him. On the other hand, he's sovereign over it. Now, if you look at the book of Job, um, why does Job become ill? There's a series of reasons. So you could say... I mean, if, if, if you were a, were a doctor at the time with all the modern medical advice and so on, you could have done tests with Job and you could have found out what the illness was. Was it viral? What, what was it? There would be scientific explanations, okay? And, and at one level, that's an explanation as to why Job, Job got ill. But then if you take it back a further level, he's ill because the devil has attacked him. And there are supernatural forces at work. And I don't think we should ever underestimate that, although we've also have got to be really careful that we don't overestimate it as well. So, so there's, a, there's a kind of a, th- a second level. But then alternate behind it, there is the permissive will of God. The devil comes to God, uh, God and he says, can I attack Job? And he says, you can go so far, you can't take his life, but you can touch his body. So, so in that sense, you might well say God's, God's will in that situation was permissive, But the interesting thing to me is that after Job chapter 2, the devil is never mentioned again. And at the end, God doesn't say to Job, Job, I'm really sorry, it was the devil that did this, not me. Job, Job, almost as it were, takes responsibility for the situation. So, so um, there are a whole range of forces involved and I think I, I want to be careful on the one hand of saying God sends illness and, you know, he, 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 he. on the other hand, I want to recognise God is sovereign and he's in control and, and I think that's, you know, it's like so many things in, in, in biblical, in, in, in theology, you've got to kind of say one thing and another thing to qualify it. So, I don't know whether that answers your question but it's the best I can do. <laughs> another question. Okay, the front here, over here. Would you agree that um, in our churches, there's a lack of support for the carers who can themselves nearly become victims too, because their health then deteriorates, and the person that they're caring for quite often isn't actually feeling as bad? Yeah, yeah. I I think that's a good point. Um, You know, I suffer far more than my wife does. Just look at me. No, but, you know, in, in a sense, you see, personally, I have to say I've had tremendous support, but then the churches I've been in have kind of said, what, what do you need, tell us, you know, tell us what you need. But, but when, you, when you're dealing with pastoral situation, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it is exhausting. My, my sister, uh, I often say that, that, you know, I only have one sister, um, one, one, one sibling, and I often say that in our family, uh, the real, real, real hero of our family is my sister because she cared for my mum who, who was, was very poorly and uh, who, who um, began to develop dementia, um, it came to the point where my mum had to go into care and my sister visits, visits her every day, um, uh, even now. I look back at the time my, my sister was caring for my mum and there were times when, when she, she almost went under. So I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think caring for the carers is just as important. And I, and I mentioned Alzheimer's. I think that's a terrible thing. Um, sometimes it's a scream. My, 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 my um, mum um, was in the care home and my, my sister came to visit us and she, my mum said, you know, we, we, had, uh, we had Mr Churchill come to visit us yesterday. And my sister said, what, what do you mean Winston Churchill from the war? Yeah, yeah, Winston Churchill. Why did he come? He came to tell us that we're winning. Oh, okay. God! Did he smoke one of his big cigars? Don't be so stupid. You can't smoke cigars in here. It's a care home. <laughs> so there you go. That's the funny side. But most of the time it's just heartbreaking and, and wearisome and there's the physical attrition. You know, she, she would be getting up in the night with my with mum my and there is the emotional attrition. Okay, so I think you're absolutely right, caring for the carers. And maybe that's something that the church doesn't always take on board. That would be good. I think we have time for one more question if there is one if there isn't, we can... Oh, think, sorry. Do you think when we're in Christian ministry, are we more under attack? <laughs> are we more under attack in Christian ministry than not? Um, well, in one way, we're all in Christian ministry, so there's a sense in which the devil picks on all of us and, and, and so on. And, um, I, I, I... One of the slides we didn't look at, um, when the Bible talks about suffering, particularly the New Testament, most of the suffering is not the kind of stuff I've been talking about today. Most of the suffering in the New Testament... The Bible does talk about physical suffering, you know, getting old and and dying and so on, and that's what Romans 8 is about, you know, I think. But then most of the suffering is because we're Christians. If you look at the New Testament, most of the verses and most of the teaching on suffering is because we're following a crucified Saviour. And then on top of that, there is a level of suffering that Paul alludes to because he's in ministry. Now I often talk to ministers' meetings and one of the things I say to them is that if we're to be shepherds of the flock, what's the sign of the good shepherd? What's the mark of the good shepherd? Jesus says three times, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life. The good shepherd, how do you know the good shepherd? He doesn't do a runner, he lays down his life for the sheep. And my question to, 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 to men, women going into various forms of Christian ministry, are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to die for your flock? Now, in some parts of the world, that's quite literal. In our culture, probably it's not literal, but it is symbolic to die to self, to die to all of those things. So, so I think that, that, you know, that there is a level of suffering because we're in ministry. And I also think that very often God takes his servants through suffering in order to prepare them for ministry so read through 2 corinthians chapter 1 you know paul is honest he opens his heart you know the lord took us through this he took us to the point where we had despaired of life itself you kind of think this is paul the great apostle of faith we got so low we'd even despaired of life. why is this so that we could trust in god who raises the dead in other words we gone through all that suffering so that we would be thrown on god so that god could then minister through us into other into the lives of other people so i think sometimes when we say to god god use me part of the way in which god prepares us for use is to take us through the veil of tribulation yeah let me oh one more okay depression Are pastors more depressing than anybody else? Is that the question, <laughs> or more depressed? Um, it, it, it's it's an occupational hazard, I think. It is an occupation I wouldn't say it's worse in pastors than, than than other professions, isn't it? What's what's the most? There's one that's more than pastors, I think. Is it dentists or something? I I don't know, but uh, certainly certainly the, the the toll of of of. Uh, I, I, I've written a second book, which is at the back. That one hasn't sold out yet. Which is, yes, you buy it. So, but that, that's, about, that's about staying fresh in your relationship with God. One of the things that I have to say in ministry, I, I've been in ministry for over 30 years, is that there is a constant internal battle going on between what you know that you, you should be and, and, and where you actually are in your experience. And, 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 you know, I have a battle every time I go into the pulpit because I know the battle in my own heart, the sinfulness in my own heart. I know that, you know, I, I want to call people to faith and yet sometimes I'm unbelieving. You know, and, and that's, you know, I, I think that's, that's honest. And so very often that's one cause of depression. And then, you know, then the Lord's people can be fairly um, depressing. We, we, we used to, when I first started in ministry, we had a list of everybody in the church, small church. So we had a list and we put a, 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 two columns and I visited everybody every, uh, twice a year. Small congregation, everybody twice a year at least. That wasn't emergency visits, that was just visits to see how you're doing. And we used to put little notes to remind me. And next to some people we would put um, GG, capital G, capital G. And GG stood for Grace Grower. And 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 you know, if you looked at that and they said, What why, why is there a Jesus? I'd say that's because you're a grace grower. It sounds great, doesn't it? What it means is you are so awkward, so difficult, so painful, that, that God grows grace in me just so that I can love you. Okay? Now you've got nobody like that in your church, have you? Nobody at all. But it's the point, it is it it's you no know, people know the job better than you do, and there's all sorts of issues are related to ministry. There's also great blessings. So, and, and depression is a, a, mental illness is prevalent and is just as bad as physical illness. In fact, my wife and I have often said physical is, we'd rather have, would rather have to cope with physical than, than, than depression. Um, let me pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace and your wonderful love. Thank you that you never let us go and you never let us down and that you are working all things for our good, even when we can't see it or understand it or grasp it. Lord, help us to continue to trust you, even in the darkest circumstances, and to know that you mean us well. Help us to realise that your way is perfect. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit wwwworldwidemissionorg donate